Hey Kingdom Roots friends, Chaz here. I am so excited to share with you that we are getting close to 1 million total downloads on the podcast. That's right, 1 million. Can you believe it? It is such an honor that you all would spend that much time with us investigating the kingdom. Truthfully, we would not be here at all if it wasn't for how you subscribed, left reviews, and shared about the podcast. You've even stuck with us through some dicey audio problems, but hopefully we've got all of those kinks worked out and we couldn't be more grateful for you. Well, to celebrate, we're going to be doing a couple giveaways as we work toward one million to say thank you for how you've shown up for Kingdom Roots. First giveaway is us doing our favorite thing to do on the podcast. That's right, give away some of Scott's books. But it's bigger than we've ever done before. We're giving away 10 copies of Scott's new book that you'll learn about in this episode. It's called A Church Called Tove. All you have to do is share this episode on your favorite social media platform with the hashtag Church Called Tove. Take a screenshot of what app you listen to or share Northern Seminary post about the episode. And what we'll do is we'll announce the winner on the podcast once we hit 950,000 downloads. So please share today because we're not very far away. Can't wait to see what all that you have to post. Now, for today's episode, you're in for a real treat. Not only do you get to meet Scott's daughter, Laura, but they share the story of what brought about their new book, A Church Called Tove. In this episode, we'll kick off a four-part series we're doing as a companion to that book, so make sure you subscribe to catch every conversation. Well, without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on how the Willow Creek scandal led to a book on goodness. All right, Scott, we've got a, a special guest on today, and sure I think do. it's probably pretty safe to say that out of all of our guests that we've had, you know this guest the best, wouldn't you say? Yes, this is true. It's my daughter, Laura Berenger. Yeah. Welcome, Laura, to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, so let's talk some, so you guys wrote this book together called a church called Tove. And um, I would be curious to hear from probably both of you. Um, why does the church need this book? And uh, why do you guys use this concept of Tove to uh, address this topic? Okay, let me let me get this started by, uh, by saying, and I'll have Laura tell her story of how we got involved with this. And I think from her angle, it's a better story than from my angle. But uh, this all started because of the Willow Creek story. And as a theologian, I was being asked questions. Uh, biblical person, I was being asked other kinds of questions. Uh, the, the fundamental question I kept get, getting asked is, what, what can I do now so that I don't become a leader like that? And what can we do now in our churches so that our churches don't collapse like this or get involved with these kinds of problems. So that, uh, that was going on in my life um, in the context of what was going on at Willow Creek. But this all began um, right away when the Chicago Tribune story came out. And I'm going to ask Laura to kind of give us a rundown of what happened and how 
she got involved and how and why she got involved and how she got me involved and then how we got involved, et cetera. <laughs> so, um, so I'll turn it over to Laura now. My daughter, Laura Berenger, and this is not Laura Taro, uh, one of our assistants at Northern Seminary, but Laura Berenger, co-author <laughs> of the book. So I can remember this as though it were yesterday. My husband and I were sitting at, it was March 23, 2018, and my husband and I were sitting at a Mexican restaurant and an email came in, or not an email, a text message came in from my dad and, and mom. We have a family thread. And it was this article up from the Chicago Tribune about Bill Hybels and these accusations made against him. So I read the article title out loud to my husband, Mark, and we both were like, oh, brother, that's ridiculous. There's no way this is true. We have been attending Willow. Now, at the time the article came out, we had already left Willow. However, we attended Willow for nearly 20 years. And some of our, we met at Willow and some of our best friends are at Willow. And it just, it didn't even, the title of the article just struck us as completely ridiculous that it would even be true. So we end up driving home from the restaurant and I start reading the article out loud to Mark, my husband, and we get to the names of the women and we're, we know these women. It's Vonda Dyer. Mark has known her for 20 years. Nancy Beach's name. So long story short, we had this really, this cognitive dissonance where it was like, there's no way this could be true. Willow's saying that it's not true. But we know these women and they're truthful women. They're women of character and integrity. So we get home and we call my dad and my dad said at the time, guys, I hate to tell you, but this is true. I've seen this pattern hundreds of times. And that really began the unfolding of, of our involvement in it. So, you know, this was, uh, this, this began um, a back and forth between Laura and Mark and me and Chris for months. I would pester my dad. My dad would explain uh, to something to us. And it was such wisdom and uh, biblical. Like, I'll just give one example. People were really angry at the women for going public, for going public to the media. And Willow Creek would say, it's not right. They're not following Matthew 18. So Mark and I would call my dad and say, explain this to us. And so he would say, they're not even applying the Bible correctly. It's not about Matthew 18. And he would explain prophets to us from the Bible. And, you know, and so I started pestering my dad, like everybody needs to hear this, not just Mark and me. So I would say pestering is a good word. And he would say, no, Laura, I'm not going to get involved. <laughs> Go ahead. That's exactly right. I said, I'm not going to get involved a number of times. I said, you know, we'll just, we'll let this play itself out. Um, but I was becoming gradually uh, discontented with what Willow was doing. Um, Chaz, this, the chances of this story about Bill Hybels harassing these women the chances of that story being false were at, uh, were exponentially impossible for me because I trusted Nancy Beach and Nancy Ortberg, and I trusted 
I trusted Vonda Dyer once Mark introduced uh, her character to me, and then eventually I got to know Vonda. But then I was hearing, we were beginning to hear other stories that were not being told public. And so um, Chris and I went with students. In fact, Chaz, it was you. We went to Turkey and Greece, is that right? Yeah. Went to yeah. Turkey and Greece yeah, in 2018. And this was uh, June. I should back up and say it was in, I, Laura, when, when was the date of the newspaper article? March 23, 2018. I think it was in April. It may have been May that I sat down in an airport and wrote out my ideas. And I passed those on to Laura and Mark. And they read them. And we talked about that for quite a while. But then in June, uh, I, we were gone. And when I came back, I simply, uh, I called Laura and asked, um, what's happened with the Willow story while we were gone. We were gone for about two weeks uh, on our tour of biblical sites. And Laura said, nothing has happened. And I, this is what went through my head, Chaz. I said, this is exactly what Willow Creek's power mongers want. Yeah. They want silence to kill the story. So I thought I'm going to take that, that document that I wrote up in the airport and edit it and work it and edit it and work it. And I'm going to post it on my blog. And I believe it was on a Wednesday. I'm not certain. Yes, it was Wednesday. It was a Wednesday that I posted it. Normally that kind of post would go up on a Monday, but I wanted to get it checked and, and worked over and edited and have different people read it and make suggestions. So I posted that and I believe, uh, by the grace of God, that that blog post reignited the story having to be talked about. And I know, and Laura knows this, that leaders at Willow Creek contacted us, different kinds of people, and said, everybody's talking about that blog post. And I was happy only because it, it gave a chance for these women's stories to be seen with integrity and truthfulness and trustworthiness, and that Willow had a bigger issue uh, to deal with. And so that reignited, I think I wrote another one to uh, a couple blog posts, maybe three. And then um, I think with the, with the breaking of the story of, of uh, Pat Baranowski in the New York Times, it was all over. I think by that time, Willow Creek realized the women were telling the truth. Um, Bill had been harassing women at that church, and the story had to be told. And from that point on, I think Willow Creek gradually backed off. Steve Carter resigned uh, in a very courageous act, and uh, others didn't, and, and that was disappointing. But some people uh, started acting within Willow in ways that showed integrity and the story then just unfolded and and it led it. Okay, uh, I don't know if Laura wants to add anything to that. Do you, Laura? No, I would just say that um, we were surprised at the, I, my term is my dad's blog post went Christian viral. Like he was getting tons of thousands of hits on it. And we started getting, my dad was getting contacts from leaders within Willow Creek 
wanting him to like silence him, tell him that he was wrong, that they wanted to talk to him. Um, I started getting contacts. Why am I talking? I need to be quiet. We were just surprised at the effort that Willow was making to contain and silence the story. Yeah, one, one uh, leader at Willow Creek wrote me and his basic point was this. If you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be writing what you're writing. <laughs> and what I wanted to write back, I didn't. What I wanted to write back was, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. Uh, I mean, this, was, this to me was unquestionably true. And so it had to be told. Well, at that point, Laura, uh, I, I got contacted by two different publishers who asked me if I would write a book about Willow Creek. And I, I simply said, no, I won't, because Willow Creek is not going to give me access to the records that need to be had, uh, elders meetings and minutes, et cetera. And the other thing is I'm not a church historian, uh, and this story needs to be told in the context of church history. So I wasn't the person to tell the story of Willow Creek. But what happened was I was studying a, a book. I was reading a book. I'm fascinated by World War II, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer especially, by Hitler, by the German language, by German culture. And I was reading a book, a wonderful book by a man named Matthew Hockenoss on pastors under Hitler and how the pastors after the Holocaust was revealed after World War II was over, the concentration camps became visible to people and the stories, the, the entire curtain was pulled back and the Germans saw exactly what Hitler was doing with Jews and with other people in the concentration camps. So I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm seeing things that, that uh, and I'm not equating Hitler and uh, certainly, or even the Holocaust, the magnitude of the Holocaust with anything connected to Willow Creek at all. But I noticed parallels between how the pastors responded to the Holocaust and their complicity with Germany in what happened and how pastors in the United States respond when accusations are lodged against them. So I started taking notes and that in a sense was the beginning of this book and Laura knew nothing about this. So we were on Christmas vacation. I think this is when I said something to you, Laura. It may have been in the airplane. No, it was on the beach. It was on the beach. And I yeah. said, you had a list. I said, I got a list of things that I got a list of things that we need to talk about. Well, that became a section in the book of what we call false narratives that have to be resisted in churches. And that became sort of the core of something to talk about. But the book evolved in different ways because I knew that simply telling churches, uh, the stories that churches tell to mask the truth or to hide the truth or to resist allegations or to silence women or to gaslight women, all those stories, that's not a book. And it's not one that I would want to write. I wanted to write a book that would, would guide, would help churches think again about what they need to do to form cultures that do not allow these sorts of things to happen. Now, we're never going to get in a world 
where no church ever makes any mistakes. So this is going to happen. But we can work now at forming cultures that do not permit these sorts of things to happen because their instincts are in a different direction. So at some, yeah, no, that makes total sense. So I don't know if Laura point, wants to add something to that or not. You got anything to add, Laura? I don't think so. No. And the part of the book, we go back and forth in the book because you really can't talk about the goodness culture without commenting on what it should not be, what it should not look like. Yeah, and the book is not a book. Uh, this is not a book about Willow Creek. It's not the subtitle or anything right. like that. But Willow Creek features as the preeminent example of things that, uh, mistakes that were made. But we also talk about uh, Harvest Bible Chapel in the Chicagoland area uh, with James McDonald. We talk about the Southern Baptist pastors and the hundreds of cases that came forward through the, mag through the newspaper articles. We talk about Sovereign Grace Ministries and Rachel Den Hollander. And I had a lot about the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but uh, the editors just didn't think that the Roman Catholic Church was as pertinent to this story as these other examples. So we focused on those, especially Willow. So how did you guys land on the concept of Tove to identify what this goodness culture is? Maybe if somebody's not familiar with the word Tove, kind of give a little background yeah. on, on what that is and how you guys led to using that as the template for what a positive good culture would be like. Okay, the, um, the word Tove, T-O-V with a long O, Tove means good or goodness in Hebrew. And it's a wonderful little word. And it started because one of my early blog posts, and I don't think it was the first one, I think it was another one where I did bring up about culture, is that churches need to start forming um, cultures of goodness. And I use this word goodness because it's such a prominent 700 times in the Bible. But it's also a word that people don't use. But what Chaz, what happened, what really surprised us and uh, surprised me especially is the number of people who wrote me or made comments to me that they loved what I said about goodness. And I thought, wow, that is interesting. Uh, why you're talking is about the, the blog post that you're referencing? Yeah, the like, blog, yeah, yeah, the blog post. I, I had something about goodness there. And um, people thought that was a great idea. So I, I thought, all right, this is the angle that Laura and I can take. She can help uh, trace down some of the stories. Uh, I will do a biblical study of the meaning of tov in the Bible, goodness. Um, you know, God is good. We are called to be good. The fruit of the Spirit is good. There is none good, but those who are not good are made good by the power of God's grace through the Spirit. Uh, so we are to be good people. And we applied that idea as the central image that churches could focus on. And, and Chaz, I can't tell you the number of leaders who said, when this book comes out, we're going to use this in our, among our elders or our deacons, or some people have leadership teams or leadership councils. You know, I'm a Bible guy. I want to call these people elders and deacons and bishops and stuff like that, uh, or overseers. But um, 
I was surprised, I've been surprised and encouraged by the number uh, uh, who have told me they're going, as soon as it comes out, they're going to study it in there with their elders and deacons to, to work, to give them ideas for what they can do toward goodness. And this week, a couple of the students in my class, my new cohort at Northern in the New Testament at the master's level, uh, several of them said, uh, we're going to use this in our church and we're going to talk about goodness. So that, that was the origin. And I mapped, we mapped, I mapped goodness over against the problems that were emerging in these churches led by narcissistic and power-mongering, fear-mongering pastors. So this isn't simply a study of the word tov, but it is what tov looks like over against some of these problems in churches like narcissism and fear and institution creep. One of the things that I noticed where instead of people being important, people think in, about the reputation of the institution, about mm -hmm. false narratives, that Tove tells, tells the truth. And, yeah. and, and in these churches, one of the uh, words, Laura is the one who started seeing this pattern, is the word loyalty comes up all the time. Are you going to be loyalty, uh, loyal to the pastor, to the mm. senior pastor, to the whoever, to the church? Or, and I said, are you going to do what's right? Or will we pursue justice? And then there's these pastors many times become celebrities. They are world-known figures who are treated like they're movie stars from Hollywood or professional athletes playing for you know, the Chicago Bulls or something. But uh, we said, no, um, a Tove culture focuses on service, not on celebrity. And when the pastor wants to be treated as a celebrity, we've got a major problem. And I'm, I'm nervous about uh, calling pastors leaders, uh, pastors lead. Uh, but when, I, when we start figuring out what a leader is through the business world and then asking our pastors to function the way business leaders function, we got a major problem. Pastors pastor people into Christ-likeness, or what I like to call Christoformity, and instead of saying, I'm trying to be a leader, they're trying to be a servant that nurtures Christ-likeness in people. So we worked on that kind of circle of tove yeah. that resists uh, in light of the things that we were seeing in Harvest and the Southern Baptists and Sovereign Grace and the Catholic Church and Willow Creek. So those attributes of goodness were formed um, as resistance pieces to what's happening in, in too many churches. Yeah, that's good. Laura, tell us something you maybe learned or were surprised by Tove that you saw, how that correlated to the, the type of conversation that you were hoping to have in the book. Sure. I have a couple th thoughts as my dad was talking. So yeah. first of all, first of all um, we would ask him, he was getting questions a lot about what do we do so that we don't end up like Willow Creek. And I speak about Willow Creek because I'm, that's the one that I'm intimately, intimately know. Right. Um, but the other thing that we were seeing come out of Willow Creek is the elders would get up and say, so we're creating these new policies and procedures to make sure that relationships between men and women are protected and, and, you know, men and women aren't alone. 
together, that there's always a third person there. And I just felt like something feels off about this. We're talking about these policies and procedures. And so my dad would say, explain to us, it's not about creating a policy. It's about the goodness and character of the person. Yeah. So that's, that's my angle on Tove or my, um, where it kind of really started clicking in my head is that they're, it's like they're almost distracting us from the truth mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And then when my dad was talking about the celebrity culture, so this one really hit home close to me is because that does exist at Willow Creek. And mm-hmm. there is what I would call an in crowd. And I feel it felt as though the closer you got to Bill Hybels, the more important, for example, I might feel. And I felt I was kind of just axed out of the in crowd when I started talking about Willow Creek and supporting the women and calling them out publicly for not telling the truth. I got in, I, mean, I got emails from people, one mm-hmm. in particular that I'm thinking of right now that pretty much I got broken up with as a friend that I was mm-hmm. out, I was out mm-hmm. of the in crowd. And it just started a process for me thinking this should never really exist in a church. We shouldn't feel, and I'm guilty of it too. I felt more important because, oh, I'm close to the Hybels family and that's not right. It shouldn't be that the pastor is a celebrity and we feel cool and important when we're close to him or her. And we talk about that in the book about Tove is not a celebrity culture. Yeah. And, and people get, and what Laura's talking about is I think one of the expressions I use is that uh, it is about Mm self-enhancement. You start to feel like you're really important because you're near the, the inner circle, but there is an inner circle and the, the whole thing I kept saying, it's about character, but it's, it's about the character of leader of a pastor, a character of leaders around him, because leaders around a pastor in these kinds of churches can be called retainers. They are protecting and they are enhancing the wherewithal of that pastor, but it's character. A person of Tove doesn't do certain things and does other things. But that character of a pastor and the leaders is also to be compared with the character of a church so that a church forms into a character culture. And this book is about churches forming character cultures of Tove. Mm-hmm. What, what practices, what habits... What actions do we need to have present in a church so that a church's culture becomes Tove? And so Laura and I and, and, and the whole family, we got to talking all the time about what needs, what are the characters, uh, what are the characteristics of Tove? What are the characteristics of these churches? What do we need to do to help churches develop cultures of Tove? And this, this book is not a... Uh, let's say an organizational transformation book that yeah. that relies upon organizational organization transformation theories. They, those people will help us, and they will take what we have written and move beyond it. 
And uh, I plan on working with someone uh, about that and reading up on that. But th this book tries to give a biblical categories that challenge character, uh, uh, church cultures that have a character of toxicity. We're trying to challenge those with the sorts of attributes and characteristics of, of character and culture of Tov, so that a different form of culture emerges in churches. And uh, I have a student right now who's a specialist in this, and he was talking in class. And, and he, he said uh, church cultures, uh, to change a culture requires seven years. Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people think, I'm going to preach a series of sermons for, in fact, I'm going to go long and we're going to go two months. Whoa. And the church <laughs> culture is going to change. And that's not going to happen. It takes a long time. Church cultures form. What happened at, at Harvest Bible Chapel? What's happened in these Southern Baptist churches? What happened at Willow Creek? What's happened in the Curia of the Vatican of the Roman Catholic Church? did not happen overnight. These things take years, even decades, to form into the kinds mm. of structures and habits and narratives and beliefs and protections and policies that form and help express that culture. A lot of those things don't form the culture. They emerge out of the culture. And uh, Chaz, I know we're running out of time, but the other thing I want to say is the culture of a church is an agent. It's yeah, like I was going to bring that up. Yeah, it's yeah. like an agent. It's something that acts upon us. Mm -hmm. If you're with, if you, if you've, almost everyone has had this experience. If you're suddenly with a dozen people who are just full of mischief, either you walk away or you become mischievous. If you're with a group of people who sexualize cultures and comments all the time, you'll either pick it up or walk away. If you're in a culture that is marked by Tove, marked by goodness, that everybody's like Mr. Rogers, then it will impact you to act like that. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a long time to get an, a, a culture that is an agent of Tove. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's what Laura and I uh, have written about in this book. And that's, you know, that's our prayer. That's our hope. That's our dream that churches will pick up this book. The, the leaders especially will read it. I, I think a lot of women who've been abused by church authority and even in sexual ways uh, will, will pick up this book and say, this nails it. Uh, I, I was talking recently to someone who said, I was in a church that had all these problems with toxicity, but there were people who were really good, and they did not have the power, and they basically got ran out. So uh, we, we want to help churches see what Tov is and to help them take positive steps toward forming a culture of Tov. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm so thankful for the book and your guys' willingness to be vulnerable um, on some of your own personal experiences and how, um, you know, you're, you, you're able to give a template for what goodness does look like, because at the end of the day, that's, um, that's what it's all about. So, all right. Well, you're right, Scott, yeah. we are getting what, uh, yeah, end one, on time. 
go ahead and give point. us some closing closing okay. thoughts. I I would never have written this book without Laura. Yeah. And I couldn't have written the book that exists without her. So I can do the Bible stuff on my own. But uh, Laura kept pushing and asking, and I had to develop ideas that I hadn't worked on that much. And so I had to work really hard. And as I told Laura, I, I'm doing something else. I have other things going on here. But uh, this so project, high. I'm a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, yeah, that's right. And, but I, uh, our back and forth here has been really a lot of fun of working together. But it, it pushed, it pushed uh, this idea of Tove to start getting real in areas that I hadn't been thinking about. So the back and forth is what led to the, uh, to the existence of this book. And, you know, again, Chaz, our, our hope is that uh, people aren't going to pick up this book hoping to hear more expose. There's, there's expose in it, uh, but they'll pick up this book because they want to have church cultures that are marked by goodness. That's, that's yeah. our goal. That's good. Laura, do you have any, what's your hope for uh, people who may pick up the book and read it? Well, my hope is, honestly, my hope is that every elder in every church would pick it up and read it and that it would serve as a template to resist toxicity. Yeah. I'd love yeah. that too. And, you know, sometimes people don't even uh, recognize the toxicity because it's the color of water. They're in it. I was going to say that, Dad, is like, I didn't realize the toxicity of Willow Creek until I left Willow Creek Mm. and experienced our little Anglican church that is not perfect, but it's the opposite of a celebrity culture. It's the opposite of a loyalty culture. And I didn't. I wasn't really able to see the, the toxicity of Willow Creek until I was out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, um, Scott, do you have any other closing thoughts to wrap up our time and, and tell my, people what they have to look forward to? My closing thoughts are for you to admit where you are right now, Chaz, as you are interviewing Laura and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am right outside of Yellowstone in Henry Lake State Park. Um, so we're enjoying, I'm enjoying a beautiful view <laughs> right now. Uh, exiled to my truck, but it's working all right because my kids are, are still playing in the trailer that I now live in. <laughs> but, and the wonders of technology that you can be at Ye uh, Yellowstone mm -hmm. National Park mm -hmm. and, and we're in three, the others are in three different cities listening in on this and uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. But yeah. I want to thank you again, Chaz, for yeah. uh, interviewing Laura and me about this book and we're, yeah. we're hoping for good things for the book. Absolutely, as I expect there will be. And we're not done with the conversation. We still have a few more conversations around this that we'll be digging into the, the book deeper. So I want to encourage you to log on and, and grab the book and uh, be able to follow along with us in our conversations. But uh, Scott, Laura, thanks for being with us. And thanks as always to our listeners for joining us. We're excited to be with you next time as we continue the conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 